Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. The scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone who filled, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, uh, we're in for a treat because we have a wonderful guest speaker with us today. Nancy Beach uh, is a longtime friend of mine, and she was one of the founders of Willow Creek Church outside Chicago, which uh, really changed how uh, churches have been operating over the last uh, few decades. She was a teaching pastor there, and also one of the ways in which she's left her imprint on the church is uh, working to make the church more beautiful. How can we engage art and beauty with our faith? And Nancy has done a great job with that. She is also an author. She recently wrote a book with her daughter, Sam, who is also a pastor, and it is a, uh, it's called Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church. It's Nancy representing her experience and her uh, life stage, maybe as a boomer, and uh, Sam as a millennial, uh, what the church can look like together as we chart away forward. So let's give a warm Antioch welcome for Nancy. Thank you so much. It is such a joy to be with you. Uh, I have never been to Bend before. I've been to Portland many, many years ago, and that's when I learned that I was pronouncing your state incorrectly. Uh, Oregon is how I used to call it. I don't do that anymore. Um, but yesterday was my first time in Bend, and your pastor Amy took me for a walk down by the river, and I don't know how anybody wouldn't want to live here. It's just magnificent, so, so beautiful. I can't get used to looking out and seeing mountains. Uh, I live in a very flat, place and also have a Chicago accent in case you didn't notice. So here we are. I'm very curious when I go to a new place how people got here or how long they've been here. So I just want to ask you, how many of you lived here two years or less? Two years or less? Okay. How many um, two to five years? Okay. How many five to ten? How many over ten? Put your hands up high. Oh my goodness. How many have lived here pretty much your whole life? Wow. Wow. That is amazing. You know, our lives are a series of doorways, you know, open doors and closed doors, options to choose from, forks in the road, roads not taken, 
This came to life for me this past year because I was walking with my older daughter, Samantha, and her husband, Will, through a major life decision. They were living in Austin, Texas, and they gave birth to their first child, had no intention of leaving there. Um, that would be my first grandchild, by the way. Did you want to see some pictures? <laughs> I, I narrowed it down, okay? So here's Eloise. She is um, 16 months old, my first and only grandchild so far. And here's her parents, Samantha and Will with her. And then my younger daughter, Johanna, is now engaged. So this is Johanna and Tucker, her fiance. And then there's a picture, I can't leave out my husband, of 43 years, uh, my husband Warren. So didn't I do well? I didn't show you too many. Uh, I, I could have, we could have spent the whole morning looking at Eloise pictures. But a year ago, January, Samantha was presented with a new opportunity to move to Raleigh and to become an associate pastor of a church there. She did not seek this out, but it propelled Sam and Will into a couple months of exploration, soul searching, pros and cons lists, if you've ever done that, you know, pros and cons, and they visited North Carolina, lots of prayer, trying to discern whether to go there, and eventually a decision to move last summer and start a new life in Raleigh. Meanwhile, uh, Johanna got engaged, and she was living in Chicago, and has the audacity now to move to Boston to be near her fiance who is in graduate school. So as I've walked with both adult daughters through these processes of discernment and as I contemplate our own future, I find myself asking this question. Does God really care where I live? Does God really care where you live? We're coming into a season now of graduations and weddings and maybe some of you are contemplating some kind of career change maybe even a move or a new step, a big step in a relationship, a possible turning point. As Dr. Seuss wrote in The Places You Go, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose, oh, the places you'll go, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. <laughs> when I think about alternative paths, it kind of stresses me out sometimes, because we wonder if our lives would have been massively more wonderful if we had stuck with that boyfriend or girlfriend, or if we had chosen a different career path altogether, if we had lived in a different city. I don't know how you ended up here, but I'm guessing that you had options. You could have chosen door number two instead of door number one. And for those of us who follow Jesus, isn't it a little scary to think sometimes, I wonder if God has a map for my life and I just can't seem to find it or follow it. What if we miss God's perfect plan? So together, we're gonna to explore this question of whether God really cares where you live. The Bible is filled with stories of men and women sometimes compelled to make a major move, to follow a path they did not see coming. So we're gonna look at one of those characters from the Old Testament. If you wanna grab a Bible, we'll also have the verses up on the screen. This is a story that could be a powerful movie. I invite you to turn with me to the little book of Ruth, short little book, and we're gonna start at the very beginning, chapter one, verse one. Here's what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. So we have this little family, 
a parent, a parents and two sons. They leave their hometown of Bethlehem basically because they don't want to starve. There's a famine in the land. So they head to a land called Moab. Now the Moabites were actually enemies of Israel and they worshiped idols. After 10 years of living there, the, all the men die in this little family, the father and the two sons. So Naomi is left a widow with two daughters-in-law. So now let's go to verse six. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah, because now there's food there again. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi kisses both young women. They all cry together, have a big weep fest. And then she was insistent that the girls return to Moab. She was hoping they would find husbands because in that culture, being married was actually key to survival for women. The girls don't want to obey. And Naomi tries again to argue her position. And eventually one of them, Orpha goes back to Moab. The speech that Ruth gives to her mother-in-law is now a famous one. Maybe you've heard it sometimes at weddings. She says in verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, both of these women made a choice. Ruth could not have known what was lying ahead. She was about to become part of a much larger story. In the second chapter, we read about Ruth's encounter with a man named Boaz. He was a distant relative of Naomi and he was a very wealthy landowner. So he treats Ruth with kindness and Naomi gets an idea. She gives Ruth essentially some dating advice and eventually Boaz works through a whole bunch of legal complications to be able to marry Ruth. They have a son and there's one last major fact to this story. The son they raised was named Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, as in King David, the greatest king of Israel, but there's more. Ruth's story is intertwined with the story of Jesus because he was called the son of David. Jesus has a little bit of Moabite in his blood tracing back to Ruth as one of his ancestors. So this story reveals two women making very different choices. Orpha likely lived a good life. She found a husband in her homeland of Moab and eventually she started her own television show. <laughs> Oh, sorry, that was Oprah. And Ruth chose door number two, leading her to an adventurous story as an ancestor of the savior of the world. God honored both of these women's paths. Clearly in scripture, there are some moments where God deeply cares about where a person will live. God led Abraham to leave his hometown, giving him only the vague instruction that you will go to the land I will show you. That is like trusting God's GPS big time. You just go to the land, I will show you. And then we have God telling Jonah 
to go to Nineveh, which Jonah definitely didn't want to do. John Ortberg had some fun writing Dr. Seuss style about Jonah's response to the Lord. I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea, so stop this talk and let me be. <laughs> now, God guided the Apostle Paul to all sorts of cities, and there were a few where God told him not to go. Very clearly, don't go there. So there are times when the answer to the question, does God really care where I live, is a resounding yes. However, and this may surprise you, I think that more times than not, God doesn't care all that much where you and I choose to live, at least not in comparison to how much God cares about who we are becoming. Ortberg writes that God is primarily in the character-forming business, not the circumstance-shaping business. God's will for my life is centered mainly in the person that he wants me to become. Most of the decisions you and I face about job or geography or relationships offer us multiple options. And I think that many times God simply says, you decide. Our God can work in us and through us whatever path we choose. And if there's a decision where God does have a uh, preference, don't you think he's more than able to make that clear to us if he has a strong preference? He isn't playing hide and seek. He isn't putting us on this frustrating treasure hunt that is entirely confusing and vague. When God does care where we live, he will impress that on us. So let me underscore once more this principle. God cares more about who I am becoming than about where I live. And yet, there is a power of place that we should understand. In fact, I read a great book recently by Daniel Grothy with that title, The Power of Place. And this writer and pastor argues that we live in a wanderlust society where people move often and quickly, seeking greener grass in some other place. And sometimes, if we admit it, right, we move or we change jobs or abandon relationships simply because we're avoiding conflict. It gets too hard. So surely if I just turn the page, pick door number two or door number three, everything will be fine. What we don't realize is we take ourselves with us wherever else we're going. <laughs> you know, this wanderlust is actually new in terms of history. People used to stay put more. They would die in the same area where they were born. In fact, there was a vow of stability, and we once referred to people as St. Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Calcutta, Augustine of Hippo, Jesus of Nazareth. Daniel Grothy thinks we've lost something significant when we fail to put down roots somewhere. He says every move is an emotional reset. So here's his challenge. Find your place, find your people, try to die there. <laughs> find your place, find your people, try to die there. He's not saying we can never move, but he said we should seek to stay put unless and until God makes it crystal clear that it's time to move. He's basically pushing against this culture of impermanence that we live in now. So then he asks, how would we know where to go if we're contemplating a change? Are there guidelines 
to finding our place. So he has a little acronym that we're going to walk through very quickly. It's the word DROPS, D-R-O-P-S. Let me unpack it for us. D is for desire. The Bible tells us in the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Desire isn't everything, but it does matter. God cares about how you feel about a certain place. When we visited Raleigh, uh, Samantha and Will were clearly drawn to the beauty there, to the energy of the city. My friend Sean, who was just up here, and his wife Julia, were pulled, pulled by a very strong desire to move here when they happened to visit Bent. Now, ocean rolls helps, I must say. <laughs> I had my first one of those this morning, oh my goodness. So desire matters. R is for relationships. If we hope to find our people, we have to find a place that has potential for us to establish friendships, to find a place to belong. This one was more of a stretch for Will and Samantha. Honestly, Chicago would win if they were just looking at their current relationships. And who wouldn't want to live by us wonderful grandparents? <laughs> but the people they do know in Raleigh gave them great hope for building a network of close relationships there. O is for opportunity. Is there a possibility in a given place for you to earn a living, to thrive? That one is closely connected to the next one. P is for purpose. Is this a place, as Frederick Buechner used to say, where your deep gladness and the world's need can meet? Can you line up what brings you great joy and purpose with a need in that particular community? And then the last letter, S, is for skills. Is this a place where your unique skills might be needed and wanted? The role that Samantha was offered in Raleigh lines up so beautifully with who God made her to be. That was very obvious to me. Daniel Grothy says the place demands something of us that we could not have known until we get there. Demands something of you. Until you get there, you don't, you're maybe not sure yet. But the place tells you what it needs from you. When we put roots down somewhere for a long time, we open ourselves up to being shaped and formed by the network of relationships, by a community of faith, by people who see our strengths, but also our limits, and help us become more like Jesus. That's God's agenda, right? For each and every one of us to become more like Jesus. And if we allow it to, the place can help us in that process. When we cut and run over and over again, that spiritual formation is less likely to happen. Ruth chose to put down roots with Naomi in Bethlehem. Where are you putting down roots? Or maybe some of you are in a season of decision making right now. Recently, your church has been in the book of Acts in the lectionary. And the passages you heard Pat read it earlier for this weekend describes community at its best. It's at its best in this picture. I want to read it for you one more time and think about your community right here in Antioch uh, as you listen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. That's my favorite phrase in the whole paragraph. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. How about that? Church every day. They broke bread in their homes 
and they ate together, look at this phrase, with glad and sincere hearts. They ate together and enjoyed the, the favor of all the people. In other words, the people not in that community noticed the love that they had for one another. And the Lord added, look at this, daily to their number, those who were being saved. That passage was the vision for a church that I helped to start decades ago. We wanted to be like the early church. There's so much we could unpack here. I love how generous they were with one another. No one had a need because those who had a lot contributed so that those who had little would be, would be okay. Now, we know from the rest of the book of Acts that this community was not nirvana. It wasn't perfect Camelot. Their relationships sometimes got messy, but they worked through their differences and the world could see how deeply they loved one another. So whether you're here in the room today or watching online, you currently live in a place. And I don't know how long you've been there, but I challenge you to commit for now to the place you are in. For those of you here at Antioch Church, devote yourself to this place. If you're new, take a step. Come out of the shadows to meet some other people, to truly be here, maybe even begin to serve in some way, to make a contribution to your corner of the world. Every one of you contributes to the culture of Antioch Church. Have you ever thought about this? Even if you're very new, you contribute to the culture of this place every time you show up for something in either a positive or negative way. It's never neutral. What would it look like for each and every one of you to commit to being a positive force for joy and love and generosity in this community? I've lived in the Chicago area my entire life, except for a few college years, so I guess you could say I am Nancy of Chicago. It's the city of my grandparents on both sides. One of my grandfathers worked in the old Chicago stockyards. We have a picture of him up on a horse. And one of my other grandparents owned a candy store, which explains a lot about me right there. <laughs> I was a South Side girl born in a community called Englewood until the age of four when my parents joined the white flight to the suburbs. I love the four distinct seasons, sort of, <laughs> um, and the toughness required to make it through every winter. Winter is always too long, but that suffering magnifies the wonder of spring, which is probably my favorite season. Every time that first daffodil pokes itself out of the ground and you say, oh, spring is back. It's happening right now at home, it's happening here. The blossoms, the blooms, how magnificent is that? My home city includes precious people to me, like Warren, Greg, Corinne, Dan, Lynn, Chip, and Carla, and others. Some of my treasured friends have moved away, and I grieve it every time. I am a Cubs, Bears, Bulls, and Blackhawks fan. <laughs> Not always easy. I love Chicago theater and the Art Institute and the gorgeous lakefront and all the fabulous restaurants, especially Lou Malnati's. I have had meaningful work and ministry in Chicago, and I thought that I would stay forever. But now, that grandchild is calling out for us very loudly to consider a move to Raleigh. It is not a move we would make lightly. So we are in a process of prayer and discernment 
because I am Nancy of Chicago. <laughs> Not Raleigh, but we'll see. I challenge you to think about the specifics of the place you are in right now. In fact, I have a homework assignment for you. Consider writing down your thoughts about your place. Start with the sentence using your name, like I am Brad of Bend. What is it about Bend that you most love? Name the people that you are connected to here, your neighbors, where you go for coffee, where you get your hair cut, or where you take a hike. Write down what makes this home for you, including details about your church community, about Antioch. There truly is a power to place. Ruth and Abraham and even Jonah would all attest to that truth. So does God really care where you live? Yes and no. He cares so much more about who you are becoming, and yet he longs for us to sink our roots somewhere and allow him to shape us in that place. I want to leave you with my favorite psalm. I'm going to use this as a closing prayer as well. This is my favorite. Think about it in the context of place. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here's my favorite part. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>